So have you ever noticed that it is remarkably hard for a group of people to get along with each other? Ever noticed that? Um, maybe, maybe you've noticed this in your workplace, that uh, your workplace, particularly at times of stress, can be uh, driven apart by people not getting along by factions and cliques and competition between different parts of the workplace. It happens very quickly, doesn't it? Maybe you've seen this in your classrooms, uh, in your friendship groups at school. Maybe we've noticed this as a cultural phenomena, the, how hard it is to actually get along. Maybe you've noticed this in your marriage. Um, of course, you, you know, Mother's Day next week, we all celebrate mothers and we realize that, you know, other people might struggle with this, but in, in our church, we, we, all, we, we never struggle to get along with our mums or as husbands and wives. It's all great in our families. But I have heard reports that in other families, sometimes there can be some struggles, right? Um, well, I, no, look, let's be honest, in all of our relationships, it's hard to get along, eh? And, um, and it can be hard in the church, can't it, to get along? Um, and that, this, is, this can be very confusing and difficult for those of us with of faith because we can think, well, hang on, um, we all should be different, shouldn't we? I mean, we, follow, we all follow Jesus. We, uh, we all have the same God. We all uh, are in this together, and God should surely be making us different. We can't, we can't possibly struggle to get along in the church, will we? Huh, well, you know, yes, we do. And, and Paul's little section here in Philippians, as he deals with this issue in Philippians, if you recall, um, the, the, the twin theme of Philippians, or the, the sort of the two major ideas that we see are, um, Paul's going to be telling us how to deal with suffering uh, and joy. How, and how these two things go together, how to live a life that is full of challenges uh, in the world and to do it in a way that is full of joy. Now, um, let's have a look at his little recipe because this, this little um, framework that he presents for us is uh, extraordinarily helpful um, in our lives, if we will but listen and learn. So here is, um, here's how he starts. Um, and uh, this frames it all. And remember last week we talked about the need to reframe and refocus. Well, here is a, a framing of our whole lives, right? And uh, this is what he says. He, he's, he's, he says to the Philippian church, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And uh, this little phrase here, um, uh, a manner worthy, that really is the language of um, uh, citizenship, and um, the Philippians would have been very familiar with this language and citizenship. They would have conducted themselves in a manner worthy of their Roman citizenship. They were Romans, uh, and as such, they had enormous privileges and responsibilities. They were in a high-status role in the ancient world, uh, and that, had a lot of, um, that entailed a lot of uh, privilege and responsibility. And so you lived as a Roman. This was an important part of how you lived, right? Um, and Paul uses the same language here to say, uh, actually, you followers of Jesus in Philippi, you belong to a different commonwealth. You belong to a different uh, system of government. You belong to the people of God shaped and defined by the gospel of the Messiah. And so he says this. He says, whatever happens, 
conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That is, live like you're a citizen of heaven. Live in a way that is consistent with uh, the organizing principles of the kingdom of God. Live in a way that is consistent with your identity as part of the family of God, as brothers of your big brother Jesus, of children of the Most High God, of those who are full of the very personal presence, the Holy Spirit of God. Live, live in a way that exhibits this, is consistent with this. And don't just live in this way when it's easy. Uh, look at verse 1. I mean, the first two words. This is just profoundly challenging, right? Um he says, uh, when life is really easy and good and everyone's getting along, then be a good, happy Christian. Can you see what he says there? You got it? It's awesome, right? Like, man, be a fair weather friend of Jesus. Follow Jesus when it's all good. And when it gets hard and Christians let you down and, and, and others per- persecute you, then throw your toys out the cot and get all miserable uh, and behave just like everybody else, uh, full of full of grumbling, full of conflict, full of revenge. No, he says, whatever happens. Whatever happens. Two weeks ago and last week I made the point right the way through Philippians in the Bible, we'll see that every, part of the reframing we need to go through is to say that everything that happens in this life is grist for the mill of transformation into Christ-likeness. Everything that happens we need to see is an opportunity to grow spiritually. And, and here it is again, whatever happens. And, and you know what he knows is going to happen for them? Well, part of the whatever, the, the whatever is two things, right, that, Paul, that, that the Philippians are involved with. The whatever is one, uh, persecution from without, persecution from outside. And the second whatever is uh, division, or conflict from within. And uh, whether and so what he's saying to you and to me and what God is saying to you and to me, no matter what people do to us from outside the church or no matter what struggles we have to endure from within the church, live in a way that is worthy of Jesus Christ. Um, and, uh, and, and this is what will happen as a result of that. As we, as we live in this way, in a way that's worthy of Jesus Christ, um, we need to stand firm. This is, this is how you endure. This is how you live. How do you live a life uh, worthy of the gospel through pers- when, you, when you are persecuted? Well, you stand firm. That's it. You stand firm. You strive together as one for the faith of the gospel. And you, so you stand firm, united, well, and fearless. That's it, eh? I mean, like that's the that's the picture of a, a Christian church, a Christian community under attack, and we know that they're under attack because Paul says here in verse thirty, he says, um, "You're suffering, and you're suffering pers- the same kinds of persecutions. Um, you're going through the same struggle." The same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. What's the struggle? Well, if you want to check it out, uh, go and have a read of Acts 16. It tells the story of Paul establishing the church in Philippi. And we see that at the end of that story, um, Paul gets uh, brutally beaten and uh, falsely imprisoned and then put in stocks. He's tortured 
And that's what happens to him as a result of preaching the gospel. And Paul now goes, I see that what was happening to me is happening to you and that's really, really hard. So what you've got to do is stand firm, people. Don't give in. Don't give in. Don't budge an inch from following Jesus, uh, no matter what comes at you from the world. And then you've got to strive together. You've got to stand firm. Uh, and the image, revealing a bit of my uh, you know, African heritage growing up playing rugby, um, even though I tried to stay as far away from the, any sort of scrum as I possibly could and used my speed to avoid you know, big six-foot forwards coming and killing me in the scrum. Um, when you, the, the idea I have is it's like you, you're packing down in a scrum. You're tight together. Everyone's arms are interlocked and you've, you're, you're bound really tightly and then together you push and you stand and you don't move. He says that's the picture. That's how we're to survive. That's how we're to go through life. So as a church, right, um, our uh, and as a and as a fa- as families as organizations this this applies this actually this principle applies everywhere um don't let external attacks divide us um what we need to do when we're under attack is to stand firm together whether that attack comes from a virus which is the current context in which we find ourselves or the, which is actually going to unfold over the next few years, I would imagine, the, the attacks are going to come from the reaction to the virus and the effects of that globally. And there are going to be all kinds of pressures brought to bear upon us and upon followers of Jesus all around the world. There will be inevitably, a, uh, it would seem to me, a, a retreat back into forms of ethno-nationalism. There will be a rise of the surveillance state and of surveillance capitalism and a pressure from increasingly large governments and dictate and authoritarian governments to control the population and surveillance technology rolled out to combat this will be used against Christians and people of faith for sure uh, all around the world. Uh, there will be lots of attacks in, and in ways we can't even begin to imagine now. And the goal, Paul says, is then in the face of those to stand firm because particularly when you're persecuted... Division and disunity is death. Like division is death, right? So this is why he then goes on to say to them, um, uh, therefore, let's get rid of that. Therefore, if you have, and by the way, um, actually, I'll just make a little comment about this. Uh, this word here, therefore, actually is not a more helpful translation. Is probably the word since, which implies that. What he's going to talk about now, the unity that we have now, flows from our identity and our union with Christ. He says, since you have encouragement from being united with Christ, uh, since you have comfort from his love, common sharing in the spirit, um, and, and tenderness and compassion. So he goes, look, this is all the stuff that defines you, right? This is what we have. Um, this is all the stuff... Uh, this is what we have, um, or uh, this is the is. Okay, this is, this is who we are. We're people, we're united with Jesus Christ. 
Uh, you are, I am, everybody in the church is anyone who claims the name of Jesus is united in Christ. And we're comforted by his love. This is what Paul's saying in the midst of his persecutions and struggles, you know, while he was being beaten, while he was being put in chains, while he's in prison, while he's facing execution. He's comforted because by, by Christ, because out of his union with Christ, he knows that his own Savior, his own Lord, was the one who walked a path of, uh, of suffering, of rejection, of torture, of abandonment, of betrayal, and of horrific death, including separation from his heavenly Father. And on the other side of that was raised to life and did all of that to save us. So that's the comfort that Paul gets. And he says, well, this is, this is true of me, and it's, and it's true of you. It's true of us today. So we have this comfort. Uh, and then and we have a common sharing. So we're, we're in this together. And because of that, we've got tenderness and compassion for each other. Um, I, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll think about the challenges of that in a moment, uh, of which there are many. Um, but then he says, "If you know what's going to bring him great joy? He says, what's going to bring me great joy? And I love this phrase, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. You know what's going to complete Paul's joy? At the end of his life, what's going to complete his joy is the unity of the church. And this is a big issue in Philippi. If you look ahead to uh, Philippians 4, 1 and 2, um, uh, we'll, you can see that. Let me see if I've, did I add this in here. Um, Eudea and Syntyche, two leaders in the church, have a look at that, seem to be or are at odds with each other. There is division and conflict within the leadership of the Philippian church. And, uh, and so Paul addresses this. He says, look, you're going to be attacked from outside. And when you're attacked from outside, know that division is death. So here's how you're going to make my joy complete. Here's how you're going to, here's how you're going to live out the gospel. This is the ought. So this is gives us this ought of unity, we're going to be united, like-minded, the same love being in one spirit and of one mind. That's, that's, what, that's, the, that's the path of joy for Paul as the one who's planted this church because that's the path of joy for God. If you think back to Jesus' prayer um, in uh, Have a Look During the Week in John 17, uh, God cares massively about the unity of the body of Jesus Christ. He cares massively that we are not divided for all sorts of reasons. Um, when uh, the, the obvious one, if you, if you think about God as Father, um, I don't know if you've, if you've got kids, um, uh, one of the things we all wish for our children is that they will get along with each other, don't we? I mean, watching your kids fight with each other is quite painful. Um, I know my mum, the, the sort of the litany I would hear from my mum growing up was, oh, you know, I just want you and Paul, Paul was my brother, I just want you and Paul uh, to be friends and to get along when I'm gone. And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, I didn't actually say that to her, but uh, she knew it in her heart of hearts and, you know, she saw it and it broke her heart. Um, and we know that. that so, so God's heart is for his children to get along. I mean, he died for each and every one of us. He loves each and every one of us. And uh, he's preparing us for an eternity of getting along. And when we hurt each other, 
we are hurting God's most treasured possession. That's one reason. The second reason is when we're divided and with between within the church, we uh, make a mockery of the gospel. We actually undermine our witness. So we stand in front of the world and we say to the world, Come and follow Jesus because he is the, he's the one who reconciles enemies. Those of us who are enemies from God, we're reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. He's the one who forgives us, who changes us, who makes us just like him. We proclaim a suffering, crucified God who dies to offer forgiveness and reconciliation um, and healing to his enemies. And when the church or Christians are unable or unwilling to offer that same forgiveness, reconciliation and healing to other members of the body of Jesus Christ and even worse in their own local fellowship when we are unable to do that we actually we live in a way that completely undermines the words that we say and so we make it increasingly hard for people to come to follow Jesus because of our lack of living the gospel out and that would break God's heart. I mean, he died so that people could come and follow Jesus and be saved. And if you and I, or the Philippian church, um, uh, fail to address the divisions and the conflicts in the church, uh, then we undermine the very gospel that we say has shaped us and changed us, and we are not living lives worthy of the gospel. And that breaks God's heart. And so here he then says, if you want to know, you might be saying at this point, Mark, how do I do this? Because it sounds so phenomenally appealing and good and easy, and I, uh, you know, I, need, I need some tips how to do this. Well, it's not easy, but here's what Paul says. Look at verse 3 and 4. Um, if you want a recipe for how to have a family get along, how to have a workplace get along, how to have a church get along, if we all just did verses 3 and 4, uh, this would be a wonderful starting place, wouldn't it? Um, do, um, don't do most things out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He says, no, do nothing. Like our motives matter. Look at this. Our motives matter enormously. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, in the context of talking to the Philippian Christians, you know, he's talking to people who are using their position in the church and their religion as a, a, a way of dividing the church and their, their religion, their faith in Jesus, he's indicating here, is being motivated by selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's the implication. I mean, it's actually appalling. It's appalling. Our, the, the capacity we humans have to take even the most wonderful, precious thing like the body of Jesus Christ, our faith in that God, our experience of Jesus, the gift of the Spirit, and then to weave our own motives of selfish ambition and vain conceit into it and so pull apart relationships. It's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean... Now, let's not just bag out the Philippians. I mean, that, that is in you and in me, isn't it? Uh, that is in us. Um, so uh, that is in us. Um, and we, you know, which is why he goes to verse the next bit, rather in, and, and when I recognize it's in me, I have to go in humility. I've got to value others above myself because, you know, I, I'm no different to the Philippian Christians and you're not. That's why we need a savior. I mean, my motives, your motives are always mixed, aren't they? And so, I mean, I, like even this, it's like let's do some reflection on this very moment now. Even this moment, even me preaching now, 
and talking to you all, I go, Lord, how much of this is driven by selfish ambition or vain conceit? How, you know, like if we're honest, you go, oh, if I, if I strip away the motives, I go, Lord, am I, am I really giving myself wholeheartedly in love to serve others or, or is there ego mixed up in this? Is there selfishness? And, and I go, yes, there is. Because, man, I am a very great sinner in need of a very great saviour, just as the Philippians were and just as you are. And the good news is we have such a saviour who forgives us. And that's why he says in humility, you know what I need to do? I need to change how I see everyone. I need to, I need to, I need to value others above myself, not looking to my own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Here's how we should live. Imagine if your family was characterised by this. Um, imagine if our church was. I think one of the, uh, one of the sobering realities is that the church has struggled with this since its inception. So my hunch is we're going to struggle with this until Jesus returns. We're never going to be perfect, right? Um, and any, we're never going to be perfect. We're always going to be, as we face attacks from outside, we're always going to be tempted towards selfish ambition, vain conceit, and therefore division as we prioritize our own interests ahead of others, that's going to be with us always. And it feels to me in the church, um, and I, I got this from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's little book, Life Together, we've got two options. We can try and create a united community just by uniting together as people, right? So I can try and relate to you directly and together I can read my psychological theories and work on my communication skills and try and make church work. Or, and, and, and Bonhoeffer says that only works for a bit and, and then we're ultimately completely disillusioned. And, um, or we can say our unity and our togetherness comes because we, I never relate to you directly, you never relate to me directly. We always relate to each other in and through Jesus Christ. It's our union with Christ our experience of Christ, that is the kind of the medium of our unity and our communion and our life together because it's only if I experience you in Jesus Christ that I'm free from selfish uh, ambition and vain conceit because if I come to you in Jesus Christ, I come as a sinner who is um, only a moment away from turning against you and you come to me as a sinner who is only a moment away from turning against me because we want to get what we want. But if we come in Jesus Christ, we always come saying, no, I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace. You're a sinner. You're saved by grace. We stand together in Christ. We find in him full and free forgiveness for our failings and the wonderful pouring out of his Holy Spirit who can actually make us new and, and birth new community and new life and new possibilities of humility and service into our lives. But that comes in Christ. So um, this is my plea for you and for me and for us and my prayer that we in our own families in our small groups in our workplaces in our community and in our church will be women and men who stand firm in our faith and who stand united in jesus christ deep deep union with jesus and with each other with humility and uh, that that is going to result in uh, many, 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 many people coming to know Jesus because they'll see his life lived out in us and through us and in our community. So um, 